Hello, it's Jack Tutor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Ingrid Plum, a vocalist and composer, an improviser that I've been in touch with for a few years now. We've had several excellent conversations about sound and her process few of which are available on attentionmagazine.co.uk. I also work with her on her project Taught as well. I did all the interviews for that. And what I love about Ingrid's music and also talking to her about it is that she's on this constant path of exploration and re-evaluation, trying to find new ways in which to present her voice, trying to incorporate new techniques with which to increase her palette of expression and to explore new sounds and landscapes that her voice can inhabit or just the act of listening can inhabit. There's this real exploratory outward progression going on and it's always enunciated with such clarity both musically and in conversation. Like there's something so vivid about her, the path of her curiosity that she's taking here. Each release is like a real bright milestone upon her eternal journey outward and onward. And that journey continues with Dolma, a project that she has been putting out over the past few months to coincide with the autumn and winter months. It's a project which is designed specifically with seasonal adjustment disorder in mind, where each instalment includes an object, a sound, and a video based on one of the elements. The final instalment is due out this very weekend, as I'm speaking to you. Uh, It's fire the final one and it was originally designed to coincide with daylight savings and our collective bounding outdoors out of our houses from being cooped up in the cold and out into the sunlight but obviously that's not happening because we're in lockdown right now i'll come to that in a sec but for now check out dolma it's really wonderful you can go to Ingrid's website, ingridplum.com, or her bandcamp, ingridplum.bandcamp.com, to check that out. So yeah, we recorded this conversation just a couple of days after the lockdown was announced in the UK. Um, it's a really strange time. Um, one thing I will say on that is that obviously everyone's doing their bit at the moment to stay indoors, which is obviously so important. You know, I think this collective action is going to be hopefully really powerful but what i will say is that there's also been especially in the uk at the moment a lot of paternalistic telling off from the government around people not obeying the laws of the lockdown which seems like a very convenient way to shirk scrutiny at the moment i mean a lot of the reasons that people are having to head outside more often than they would do otherwise relate to both ambiguous and contradictory advice on the government's part that we've had over the past couple of weeks, but also the lack of support available to certain people to ensure that they can say, stay safe, um, stay supported during this time. There are people who are having to go to work because they have no other choice. So to wag the finger at the general public for being too stupid or selfish to follow this advice is absolute baloney. We should maintain scrutiny on the people in power, both in government and also in business, who haven't allowed people to put their health first. Uh, I hope you're all staying safe and well. And I should say that if you do have the time and or the means, definitely consider volunteering or helping your local community in some way. 
Also, there are ways that you can support the experimental music community at the moment through buying artists' music, uh, donating to your favorite venues. Also, just by attending one of the live stream gigs that's being put on at the moment. Uh, there's plenty of those happening, so keep your eyes peeled for people putting those on. Uh, uh, but most importantly, look after yourselves. I hope you're all doing well and staying safe. My thoughts are with you. Let's hope we get through soon. Anyway, Ingrid Plum, this was a great conversation. Uh, like I say, I love talking to Ingrid. It was wonderful to hear her three records. Again, head over to ingridplum.com or ingridplum.bandcamp.com to check out her music and enjoy this conversation. This is Ingrid Plum on Crucial Listening. Hello, Ingrid. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Hey, hello. hello. Thank you very much for joining me for the podcast. Thank you for having me. So we're going to talk about your three important records. But before we do, I wanted to talk about some recent and current happenings with your own projects. So one of them being Dolma, a new four part release. Um, so can you, to begin with, just tell me a bit about what Dolma is? So Dolma is a series of sounds and scenes and sculptures. So there is a handmade object with each one um, that is for self-soothing. So it's a self-soothing object, kind of like when you walk along the beach, you pick up a pebble, you like the way it feels in your hand, you put it in your pocket. And when you take it out at home, maybe you get that connection to nature and feel a little bit calmer so uh so there's the sculptural object and then there's a video that relates to it and then there's uh the audio as well that's also on the video as an audio track and that's available uh on its own as an audio track so the idea is that um people who suffer from seasonal adjustment disorder could escape into a little world of senses where you have the touch of the self-soothing object and you have the visual of the film and you have the uh, sounds of the field recordings and the vocals with it. And you have each of them named after a particular element, so you have air, water. So there's air, water, earth and fire. What is it about, what led you to decide to choose on like a, choose a fundamental element of the landscape rather than picking say for example like a particular landscape what is it about taking it down to such fundamental roots that appeal to you well i'm normally very much about a location like i've done a lot of site-specific work um i started off way 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 back doing site-specific installation and performing vocally in different sites. Um, And the whole piece was about the narrative of the space. And then I I started to make albums where I brought that in through field recordings, but it was always for each track, it would be a specific place. So I wanted to work in a sort of collage way with film and audio, just to provide some sensory relief for people who 
maybe are stuck on a commute and don't get to see daylight outside of the office in winter. Hmm. Because I actually love winter and I love autumn. Those are my seasons. Mm. Yeah, same. Yeah, so so I wanted to share that love, really, and and get people a way of connecting to nature. How does uh, generating Dolma, how does it link in with your own experiences with nature? Like, what are, what are your own experiences with finding the soothing qualities within nature and natural landscape? Uh, well, for instance, I have to live near trees. It's something right. I noticed. <laughs> I remember one time I was flat hunting, I looked at like 45 places and it was getting a bit crazy oh and gosh. I couldn't work out what was wrong with a lot of them. Like they seemed fine and I just had a fundamental physical feeling in my body and then found somewhere with some trees out the back and I was like, yep, <laughs> instantly. <laughs> oh, trees, yes. That's what I need, yeah, trees. Um, which is probably from growing up in the countryside and also being Danish and, and having the Scandinavian sort of relationship to nature and the value of nature being an important part of your life. Um, mm. There's the whole sort of summer house escape to the countryside uh, philosophy there. And um, I tried to sort of bring it into this project, Dolma, by bringing some words which um so people who buy the object could then access via a password the video and download the track and so there were words with the video like the weight of the air gets heavier the days get darker and i long to be in the forest again listening to the trees and only to the trees as they begin to change their colors so and it goes on so it's that kind of trying to get that present feeling present escapism <laughs> yes <laughs> and with the materials as well i mean i'm talking about field recording the, the video and also the objects i mean i can see that in some cases they're drawn in from far off locations from where we are in the uk so iceland i see is a place that's mentioned um can you tell me about the process of gathering the materials that would be compiled into dolma yeah, so um, the first one, for air, I made these little sculptures and I actually made them by squeezing this white air-drying clay in my palm until it dried into the sort of shape of something that would fit very nicely into oh, someone's palm. So lovely. Yeah, so just so that you could sort of have it even in your pocket with no one seeing. And uh, for the most recent one... I had black sand, which I collected from the beach in de in uh, in Iceland, and I've put it into little bottles for people so that you, they can have a little bit of sand. They could choose to empty it onto their hand or just look at it inside the little bottle. And uh, yeah, for the for the last one, which will be out for the the changing of the clocks, the end of daylight saving. Um, there's going to be a matchbook. <laughs> oh, nice. Because the element is fire. So um, I don't know if you've, if it's just my pyrotechnic love, <laughs> nature, wannabe pyromaniac. Um, <laughs> but I, I've always loved watching a, just the match burn down. And obviously we're recording at a time which, if you're listening to it when this comes out, will be an obvious remark to make. But if you're listening at some point in the future, then you can get a little insight to where we are right now 
we were on lockdown and have been for the last mm. few days so we were talking just before we recorded about that maybe there's a renewed significance of dolma that doesn't necessarily just relate to seasonal adjustment disorder so um how has the process of us going into lockdown and people being instructed to stay largely within their homes how has that changed the understanding that you have of dolma and the opportunities it might offer for people it's been quite a surprise i mean i thought that the what relating to nature and nature being a far off distant uh inaccessible thing whilst people are busy working and trapped in offices um or trapped wherever they work, uh, I thought that would be irrelevant now as the clocks change. And so fire was kind of like, hooray, burn this thing. (laughs) Let's go back. Um, Because people would be out walking in the sunshine and whatnot and gathering outside. And of course, we can't. And quite right, quite right, we can't because it's dangerous. Um, So... What I'm going to do is I'm going to make the videos available for everyone to be able to just stream them and without a password so people can have that escapism whilst they're in lockdown. Wicked. Um, So where's the best place for people to go to check out more about Dolma and to listen to the tracks and all the rest of it? So the best thing to do is to go straight to my website, ingridplum.com, and click on solo projects and all the Dolma videos will be there. And if you want to get the handheld self-soothing object, then go to the Bandcamp, which is ingridplum.bandcamp.com. Fantastic. So in terms of other projects that you've got going on at the moment, uh, recently you had released a new trio recording with Graham Dunning and Anton Mobin called Ancient Lights, which was originally captured at Soundsavers in London back in 2018. So what can you tell me about the release, uh, but also your memories of that recording session, given it was uh, some time back now? Ah, well, this is something that I found really interesting. I was talking about this the other day um, in a workshop that I was teaching and um, about improvisation and about how rare it is to meet people who you can literally just go, hi, hi, yep, yep and (laughs) straight in yeah um and this was one of those beautiful occasions where we met we you know i knew graham from way back we've collaborated several times and i had never met anton before and we were able to just sit together and we had all our stuff laid out and just the excitement of seeing all the objects that people had on the tabletops was fantastic and immediately (laughs) we just dived in How long did you record for? We recorded on a one really long day. So it's really just the meeting sound, which is my favourite to record. I I really like the fragile sound of people meeting musically Mm. and capturing that like a Polaroid. Yeah, we spent one very long, very hot, sweaty summer's day recording. When you say fragile, what what do you mean by that? It's, it can be quite tentative in a way because you don't know each other's sounds necessarily. So you're really sort of introducing yourself sonically and the other person is also introducing themselves sonically. And then you're having a dialogue or a, a, a conversation between the three of you where you're uh, finding the territory really and mapping it out and then you start to experiment and and try different things and you get the different responses 
and you work with the response. Wicked. I was listening to it just before we started recording and it's really, really awesome. Um, I'm going to pick it up actually as soon as we're done uh, recording. It's really beautiful. Um, where is, um, a reminder for me personally because I've just forgotten I could Google it, but hey, you're right here. So where is that release available? So if you go to Fort Evil Fruit on Bandcamp, there's, that's where you can get it. Great. So what else have you got on the Horizon Ingrid? I mean, I understand from an interview you did earlier this year that you've got a new album in the works. So what can you tell me about that? Yeah, so Cisdera is a video album. So um, it's going back to my visual and sound art roots, basically, um, but with composition for voice and songwriting within it. So I'm really bringing everything together in this project that I love to do. The title, Cesura, means uh, the space in music. So the actual deliberate spaces and pauses of silence. And the whole theme of Cesura is the silent pauses in nature and in life and the movement within that stillness. Absolutely love that. You're someone who... I think meditates quite regularly is that right uh, not as much as i should <laughs> so yeah yeah try try to meditate regularly yes, yes. yeah 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 um great and so i'm assuming that your uh, news of upcoming releases is that that will be available on your website right yes i think it should be ready late autumn to christmas time so November, December, obviously things have been a bit delayed. I was going to be recording a choir and and that can't happen right now. Right. Um, of course, yeah. So I've, I've made a composition for choral performance that's comes out of these Qigong and meditation vocal exercises. So, oh, wow. I sort of have to spend time with the choir and get them doing these exercises first. And then we go into performing and recording. Um, wow. Yeah. That's it's so cool. going to be great. It's kind of comes from the projects Obfuscate and Sublimate, which I did on residencies. So Obfuscate was in Madeira and Sublimate was in Iceland, where I combine this idea of the storytelling of a landscape and nature. But I'm getting more into this sort of idea of what is happening in fallow ground. Hmm. Like in farming, you can't, you can't keep expecting the earth to yield a harvest continually. You have to rest it. Hmm. And the same is true of humans. We have to rest. And the same is true of sound. There has to be space. 100%. And again, something that feels like it may have gained new pertinence uh, at the moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so your important records, Ingrid, you've brought three of them as yeah. instructed um the first question i like to ask is about how you thought about the term important when pulling together your list so was there mm -hmm. a way in which you contemplated that term important which allowed you to come up with the three records that you did yeah i i really focused on the word important meaning a shift in my thinking huh yeah something that made me redirect personally and with my work and sound. Well, let's get stuck in. I'll let you pick whichever records you want to go with first. If you give me the name of it and the artist and tell well, me what's important. 
Let's go chronologically. Let's go for Ruby Saltpeter. Yeah. So what can you tell me about this one? Why is this one important to you? So obviously I was a a teenager. So music (laughs) had the most importance that it ever has. And, (laughs) um, And... this album combined the sort of trip-hop sound that was coming up with the Riot Girl and a sort of grunge kind of lyricism. Mm. And that was a really powerful combination. I, I feel like it should have been more widely known and it should have been heralded and it should be talked about with all these albums of the time. But I think one of its strengths is probably one of its weaknesses in that way because it combines lots of different sounds from different genres and different ideas together so it's it's quite eclectic in that way yeah yeah this was one that i kept thinking that i got a handle on and then it would throw another turn or pull in another style and i had to reevaluate my own relationship with it i mean it does sound to a certain extent very much of its time like definitely you know, I can hear Porter's head and Tricky and stuff in here. But mm. then there's definitely some other jags going on as well. So, I mean, where did this fit into your listening at the time when you first discovered it? I mean, did you do you remember how you first came into, into Ruby? Yeah, I think it was played on the evening session or the John Peel radio shows, which I listened to, like, religiously. <laughs> um, they were kind of my portal to the life that I wanted to be living at some time in future, where I could go to gigs, because this was before I was old <laughs> enough to go to gigs, and I was really envious and just, you know, in the countryside, um, uh, when felt like nothing happened. <laughs> got, got woken up by the cows being taken from milking up to the pasture, <laughs> up the back lane behind the house. And <laughs> that was kind of the closest I got to a gig at the time, which says a lot about my music that I make now. Um, <laughs> so but trip hop was really important to me because I felt like it brought the studio equipment onto the stage and validated them as instruments. Mm. And for someone who was using their voice but was more interested in playing with their cassette recorder and and writing songs on their dictaphone, and the dictaphone I used then when I was 12 years old is the dictaphone I use now on stage. I love that. That's great. (laughs) And so I feel like it was a really important time, although at the time I was just, you know, playing about. Um, (laughs) but all these playback devices and she didn't use any live musicians to make the album ah and that really intrigued me at the time i was like but how yeah (laughs) (laughs) because i was i was like a lot of people fed this you know um format of bands and guitars and drummers and this is you know you need all of this Mm. um and then you need the space and then you know and it, it escalates to actually needing quite a lot yeah. And it gave me an idea of how I could make music by myself. Um, and it really redirected me to, to think about making music solo. So you heard it on John Peel's evening sessions on the radio. Um, yeah. So um, firstly, was there other music that came out of listening to those sessions that has stuck with you as well? Yeah, PJ Harvey, full track oh, nice. demo. Yeah. Um, she did quite a few live sessions on the John Peel show and that was, they were just brilliant, so visceral. And I felt like Ruby had a bit of that in the way that she performed and mm. and sang, but um, 
but with the trip hop element going on, which just spoke to me, really. <laughs> the breakbeat. I really liked the breakbeat and I still love a good breakbeat. And and so it sounds like, did you like it instantly? The saltpeter? Yeah, and her lyricism just really struck me as being really brave at the time. You know, this is a time when... Uh, I think female singers couldn't do anything without their kook license. Right, right. As I call it, which is like, (laughs) you know, you could only make unusual music if you were kooky and and you were Bjork or or Tori Amos or, you know, that, was it, Q magazine cover, do you remember, with like the Bjork, Tori Amos and who else was on it? I don't remember this one. Let me see if yeah, I can find it. Yeah, it's like, it's like um, if you Google it, it's like this quintessential, oh, women making music <laughs> cover. But it felt like Ruby was very real and she was singing in her lyrics about things that I think all women experience. And it was almost like, now that I am aware, I didn't have this language as a teenager, but now as I, that I'm aware of things like the male gaze in film, I felt like she was making music f- with the female gaze. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, this Q magazine cover. So PJ Harvey, Björk, Tori Amos. And then the slogan at the top says, hips, lips, tits, power. Uh. <laughs> oh, my God. The 90s yeah. was a weird, weird time. Right? Mm. So so you're me wanting to make music with your voice and your dictaphone <laughs> <laughs> and your records. Oh. And uh, and then you, you hear Ruby, who's just completely doing it her own way. Yeah. Wow. So what were the tracks from Saltpeter that first connected with you? Um, I think... The tracks were Paraffin hmm. and Saltwater and Tiny Meat. Those three tracks really stood out to me. I mean, Paraffin is really hypnotic. It really has that hypnotic effect of the, the trip-hop breakbeat going on. But um, the lyrics are so different to the songs of the time, you know. Now I smell like Paraffin, stretch my neck to look up to him. And it's like, we've we've all done that. We've right. all had to stretch our neck. It's such a physical sensation that she's writing about. Mm. So Leslie Rankin, yeah, she was in the band Silverfish, who, as I understand, were like a feminist punk band or post-punk band at the time. I mean, was, was that a band that you'd listened to or did you come into Ruby not knowing anything of Leslie Rankin? No, I didn't know anything about her. I've always kind of done that and I still do that. Like, I just want to hear the music and then I might find out a few facts about someone, but... I don't really like to know a lot about people that make the music. Huh. Um, Because I worry that I might know too much and hear the music differently. And I kind of want to just enjoy the music. So is that that a temptation you have to fight? Because, I mean, certainly with me, once I've heard a record, the next thing I do is dive into the context. Um, and that seems to be a reflex of mine. Maybe that's come from writing about music, perhaps, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. But is that is that something you have to push back on or is that just a natural inclination that you're like, the music is enough? I think I just get obsessed with playing the music to the point where I would, you know, overplay it and get sick of it. But I really get <laughs> fixed on one one album 
at a time really and just go for it with mm-hmm. it um and then i might find i'm more uh more likely to look up how did they do that so what's that about you know what is this technique so i I got far enough into looking at her that I wanted to know how she made it and I found out she didn't use any live musicians and I was really intrigued by that. Um, And these days, you know, there's websites like Equipboard that I'll go and geek out about what microphone was used and things like that. And is it an album you still listen to now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I had it on constant rotation um, on a cassette in the glove box of my car when I was a teenager and I was, because, you know, you have to buy a crappy secondhand car and drive when you live in the countryside of course, yeah. to get anywhere. Um, and it's like, oh my God, I have a life now. <laughs> and then um, she was constantly on rotation on one of the cassettes in the glove box that was always being played. And I was really sad when I sold the car and I realised I hadn't <sighs> taken the cassette oh. out of the glove box. Um, and then it took me a while to get back into to find it again I sort of forgot about it for a while and then heard it again and was just like yeah these lyrics are still fresh you know and the production hadn't aged in the way that you might expect wow it was still very crisp yeah no it's a really I mean also as well I think with a record that is so incredibly dense so I listened to it out walking to begin with back back when that was a thing uh, <laughs> and then i listened to it Do you again remember when we used to walk yeah i know around oh, glory yeah. days um and i listened to it again today on um like bare headphones but indoors and i was like wow there is so much going on here and you can actually hear all of it it's a really mm. well produced record right yeah and i remember being anchored to the the living room waiting for her to come on later with Jules Hollands because knew she was going to be on it and just really intrigued to see how do you perform this live? Mm. How do you make this happen? Yeah, what did her performance look like when she would play play live on stage? Well, she did have a drummer and I think a bass player or guitarist there mm. and she obviously had people doing things on the, on the laptops but because she was a singer, she was up front and foremost the the focus of the camera so I never got to see her live because I wasn't old enough to go to gigs and I also wasn't old enough to look like I could go to gigs <laughs> um, Same I remember just falling in love with her blue hair hmm. and that's why I ended up getting blue stripes as soon as I could <laughs> oh, that's great <laughs> amazing yeah. um, so I'm going to play a little clip of a track from this now do you have any requests for which track to include here one of the three, either either paraffin or saltpeter, salt water, sorry, uh, or um, a tiny meat. Well, let's go to your second record now, Ingrid. So, going chronologically, I make that Room Full of Teeth. What can you tell me about this Room Full of Teeth record and why it's important to you? So, I think when I first heard this album, I felt like someone had just taken classical composition for the voice and given it a massive kick up the bum, really, or put (laughs) put some kind of jet engine behind it and propelled it into the present. It's just incredible. And... 
the sparseness of the arrangements really resonated with my own work. Um, it really transports you, I think, because when you have so much space within something that uses the voice, it feels like you're traveling outside of time and kind of outside of the rest of the world and the rules that apply. Is that something you feel particular to the voice? Yeah, I think um, because uh, because the tracks are a cappella, that um, you can feel a sort of timelessness from it because the voice has existed before, during, and beyond so many instruments and technology. Hmm. It will always exist, and so, and then there's this idea of identity within the voice. But when there's a group, it's almost uh, this feeling of the group singing that you get a little bit of this right, really great physical sensation you get in group singing. Mm. Yeah, I think I think the best music does take you into a sense of a journey outside of the moment you're in, or or can even like crystallize the moment you're in. Hmm. heighten your senses yeah i mean certainly that seems to resonate with a kind of paradox that i feel now now i'm thinking about what you're saying in relation to my own experience of listening to this record which is obviously it's a group that seems very fixated on extending and exploring so many different techniques with the voice in a manner Mm. which seems very agnostic as to any allegiance to a particular way of singing or a way of understanding the voice uh so you've got the kind of obliteration of any sense of particular place or time but then you've got also this incredibly vivid clear recording that situates you right in front of all of these mouths in a kind of crescent shape all around you as well which is really lovely yeah i mean i think the extended technique is really woven together in a way that's really rare because you can hear that in sort of free improvisation and things like that, but they've shaped it into these storytelling kind of aspect of songwriting and of, of classical composition. Mm. And they managed to pack in all these amazing techniques and the range of their vocal range. But the quality of the tone in their voice is still emotional. You're still getting this emotional message and this sort of story that you're invited into. So that's the thing, because there's such a vast vocabulary going on, surely it could have been a record that comes across as some sort of uh, acrobatics exercise, like just a demonstration of what's possible rather than being anything that has that more emotional resonance. So how how have they managed to, in, in your mind, incorporate these techniques without falling into this territory of just being some kind of technical demonstration? That's a really good question. I mean, that's a question I'd want to ask them. Yeah. But I, think it, <laughs> yeah. I think it is a trap to go into just demonstrating what you can do. And I think it's quite interesting that they are approaching it from a sort of manifesto that they've written about approaching the voice and in the learning capacity and exploration. And so hopefully what that does is just not lead it to be the the kind of egotistical demonstration of range mm. um and also they're they're all amazing <laughs> yeah and you get that with the best singers don't you and the best uh performers on any instrument that when someone's that good they don't really have to show off right. to show how good they are do you know what i mean yeah 
totally. Yeah, they just be. And uh, they are, that speaks They're just there doing all of the things that they can do, which are many, and that's enough. <laughs> so how did you first encounter Roomful of Teeth and this record in particular? Uh, I was watching the German TV series Dark. Ah. Yeah, and I heard the vocal piece that Caroline Shaw, who's in Roomful of Teeth, wrote uh, called Partita for Eight Voices. Mm. And I looked that up, and this is just the tag team of looking that up, falling in love with that, and then looking up Roomful of Teeth, because it was performed by them, and looking up their first album. And just being quite amazed that a vocal group could have so many different pieces written by people within the group and outside of the group. Yeah, because, I mean, I should say as well, the uh, Carolyn Shaw Partita for Eight Voices, that's featured once already on Crucial Listening, funnily enough. Uh, mm. Julia Wolf picked that as one of her choices as well. So It's phenomenal. <laughs> Absolutely phenomenal. It was hard to choose between that and this, but then I thought there is something about how varied this album is and then you get both as well i guess yeah you do um i do really love the caroline shaw tracks in particular on this album there's um one thing that stuck out when i was listening earlier today and we talk about the sort of very deft way the extended techniques have been woven in there's a moment i think it's in like the first part or they're kind of in a different order aren't they but um where they do this kind of swoop up and then this harmony that sounds like a, someone starting a tape player that takes a while to kind of accelerate to the point where it's reached its speed so it's kind of like this oh, yeah. they all do it yeah it's such a like vivid effect it's so oh, it's gorgeous really it's gorgeous. so controlled yes it's incredible yeah and so together yeah um and this is a group that seems to from from what i understand and what i've read about them really value the role of tuition within what they do and you know working mm. with experts to expand their own techniques and perhaps that links into something that you put really well about the fact that you know they 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 just want to they want to learn about the voice this isn't an egotistical exercise this is you know about being humbled by everyone else's abilities and trying to kind of follow their path so what's the um, role of tuition within your own relationship with the voice like how have teachers and other people factored into the way that you think about your relationship with the voice oh big time yeah i mean um i was performing long before i ever got any tuition so i was performing from the age of seven and then i got tuition from when i was 10 years old um and at that time if you got singing tuition it would be classical because that was all that was taught really where I was um, and so I learnt classical singing, opera and then uh, when I was 19 I moved into learning the contemporary vocal techniques yeah. um, of pop and rock and soul and then I moved into wanting to travel and this sort of uh, kind of ethnographic sort of study of the voice led me to do the documentary uh, Living Yoik, where I went to study yoiking and I interviewed uh, Ristin Gope, who's one of the central yoikers from the yoiking family, the Gope family, 
in uh, northern Norway. Wow. Uh, in Tromsø. And uh, then I also uh, studied Mongolian throat singing, uh, kumi in particular, um, with Michael Ormiston in North London. So I didn't have to travel to Mongolia to get the technique. <laughs> but I like I like getting it once removed. Um <laughs> And then, you know, I had to work out how to do that in a healthy manner because uh, proper Mongolian throat singing, they, they really restructure their muscles to a point where you would be excellent at doing that, but not so great at doing other things. And that's where I start to think of the voices as a very physical thing. And it's very much like training in dance mm. or something like that, where you shape your body for one thing or you shape it to do a variety of things. So in 2016, I went to study with Meredith Monk in New York, which mm. was incredible. And for me, one of the aspects of getting tuition is to get out of your habits and your ruts and to have that input to get you into new territory and to shake you up a bit. And she was fantastic, really supportive and really generous. And then... As a result, I made Taut, which was a much bigger scale project than I'd made before. And I had people write scores for me that took me completely out of my comfort zone. So is that... In the best way. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, certainly, is that something that uh, obviously being taken out of your comfort zone is, you know, an uncomfortable thing? Um, <laughs> is that something that on the back of doing tuition with Meredith and also doing Taut that you feel more inclined to do or find more more comfortable almost like you know getting acquainted with public speaking or something yeah i think i'm slightly addicted to it and i know that that's <laughs> not not necessarily usual or normal in performers um but i i am addicted to the feeling of getting on stage and not necessarily having it all mapped out and having room for experimentation i am bad at repetition <laughs> i can do it technically i can do it but i've i fall out of love with repeating the same thing over and over again so i tend to do different versions of the songs that i've written alternate melodies um improvised versions where i i build up some improvisation on, on my loop station and then i perform it with that so um i'm always changing the key and i'm changing the time signatures and just yeah, adjusting for the room, adjusting for the feeling in the room and the people in the room. Mm. To um, return to Roomful of Teeth as well, I mean, one thing that really strikes me as someone who's not really a, a vocalist uh, is the harmonies are so incredibly complex at certain points and slide mm. in a very controlled way from one point to another in a manner that completely changes the tonality uh, as someone who is a vocalist maybe you can tell me this it seems to me that trying to put myself in the position of one of those performers i can't imagine being able to hold my note in amongst uh sort of harmonic terrain that's constantly sliding around me and trying to mm. you know reevaluate reevaluate my reference point and making sure that you know I'm actually like holding the note I should be is what is that like as a vocalist to try and do that when you're working within a choral setting like just keeping your note and not finding yourself being dragged away by what's going on around you yeah there's this sort of duplicity going on of uh, you're listening and not listening at the same time that's how i i describe it and this idea of listening and unlistening 
Right. So you have to listen to hear the intervals of where you fit in. But you also have to not listen so much that you you get off the track of your note. Yes. And so you have to have a sort of internal listening to yourself and what you should be doing, as well as the outward listening. <laughs> this is why I'm not a vocalist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so are there any particular moments? I'm sure there's plenty. Like the record is so chocker full of lovely bits. But are there any particular moments that stick out in your mind when you think of this record that where you just go, oh, that is absolutely lovely what they've just done there? Yeah, I mean, in the first track, it really hooked me when it does that sweep that you talked about, mm. which is incredible. But then it kind of erupts into conversation right. as part of the sounds. And I love that because that says to me, we are embracing sound as well as music. Mm. And that's really rare within a, a vocal acapella album in an ensemble. It's, it's all about all the sounds that the voice can make so there's there's vocal percussion in there and clicks and whistles in this album there's the chattering that's melodic voices um there's so much i mean there's um i wrote this little book a while ago which was sort of a counterpoint to to what i teach when i'm teaching workshops called sounding the voice and then i got asked to make a piece of work that was about not making sound <laughs> Yeah, which was a really interesting challenge. It was by my collaborator uh, Joshua Legallion, who we were we were in. A, we had an improv group, and will do at some point again when we can <laughs> be in the same place. Um, called Susurrations, which valued the silence as much as the sound, and um, it was very hushed. And one of the exercises I wrote for this little booklet of uh, instructional scores for his project about not making sound. Um, which was called Immateriality. It was a touring exhibition. And so I made this little scores book of instructions and I, I was thinking about what is it like for singers when they can't sing? Mm. And what is it like for people who wish they could sing or work with sound but don't have any background in it? Mm. Or what is it like for people who can't make noise because of the circumstances they are in? So there's one exercise where um, I ask people to go to a cafe and sit and listen to all the sounds around them of the conversation as if they're melodies. And the little instructions kind of guide you through these steps of, of listening to it. And it's something that um, I started doing deliberately. I think I'd already done it unconsciously, but I started doing it deliberately after um, listening to Glenn Gold variations. And um, and it's something he used to go to cafes, and I thought, I bet he was, you know, and he he did this listening to people in a cafe. So yeah, so I just loved hearing that just right in the first track. This love of sound, all sound, and it says a lot about their attitude towards exploring sound vocally. The 89th point is located halfway. Let's go to your final 
pick now, Ingrid. Uh, if you could tell me the name of it and a little bit about why it's important to you as well. So Tanya Tagak Animism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, why is this particular record important to you? I think it's a really brave album. Mm. It's incredible. The scope of her range is incredible. Um, just as a vocal nerd, I was listening to it <laughs> going, how many octaves? One, <laughs> two, three, four, five, six? What? <laughs> wow. um, because when I first listened to it, I thought she had backing singers. I thought she had some choir pieces right. in there. Yeah. But she hasn't. It's all her. <laughs> it's her vocals um, layered up. Uh, she's incredibly versatile. And she's also um, playful as well. So again, it's that kind of um, exploration of technique and different disciplines and and coming at it from a different viewpoint of, of cultural anchoring in her background as an Inuit throat singer. Yeah, I, mean, I love this record. I, in fact, it was a record that was put my way for a review. And so I'd never really heard her music before. And then that first track kicked off. Um, which is a Pixies cover, right? The Caribou track, yeah, um, it is. I I really like what she's done with reclaiming, right? Yeah, things. So she sort of reclaims the Caribou track and saying, "You wanna you wanna sing about Caribous? I'll tell you how to sing about Caribous." Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I heard her say in an interview, she was like, "I thought it would be funny to have someone who actually hunts and eats Caribous to be singing about Caribous." rather than the pixies which is interesting yeah and she kind of did that to a bigger extent with her nanook of the north retelling where she she re-scored it for her voice and ensemble to retell it and reclaim it Hmm. you you saw that live right yeah yeah it was incredible tell me about that she's phenomenal um and i spoke to her afterwards because i was just absolutely floored by it um I came across the album Animism by researching throat singing because obviously I studied the Mongolian overtoning and I was interested in all the different types. I was interested in Inuit throat singing because it's so social between two people mm. and it's got this real playful physicality to it. Um, and they, Inuit throat singers just look like they're having the most fun when they're doing it. <laughs> it's brilliant. And then, uh, and that led me to her work where she'd taken the Inuit throat singing into a solo performance and she was bringing in the songwriting and everything into it. So when I saw her perform live, it was incredible. But what I really took away from it was how comfortable and natural she is in her body and in herself on stage. Hmm. And how much freedom she has with what she will do live she can take it anywhere she wants um it seemed really intuitive and i asked her afterwards um when i was chatting to her i I said how do you get to be so free on stage and able to move so fluidly from one thing to another and uh, she grabbed my shoulder and she sort of summoned her breath through her nose and and she said to me I think it's really just about not giving a fuck. (laughs) And I just love her for that so much. Um, So good. It's just brilliant advice. And also, it's a bit of a gift. 
from one vocalist to another because I had told her I was a singer and, and she gave me that, you know, as a as singing advice. Mm. Um, but also as a sort of permission, which you would, I would like to think that I don't need permission, but actually I think when you grow up in a society that does dictate and condition to women how to behave in certain ways mm. and how to speak with their voices, um, I think that there might be part of you that subconsciously still needs permission from someone. So so she kind of gave me that posi- permission and it was sort of felt like an invitation, like, go, go on. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the same with Meredith Monk when I studied with her. She was like, you go, girl. It's like, yeah, all right. <laughs> all right, cool. look. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> so um, when you first heard animism and it's a it's a sprawling record i mean like i felt Mm. quite misdirected having not heard her work by the caribou cover and then the territory that it covers after that point is so vast and so seamlessly vast as well like it it really knows itself was there a record that you felt connected with straight away yeah i think so i mean it's quite something to listen to on headphones yes and just again be transported out of your world and there's a lot of stuff that I felt like I could relate to, like howl and flight and fight. We've all been in situations of flight and fight and mm. howl in particular. I ended up doing a, an EP called Howl um, and recording Wolves, and I just love Wolves, and I love the fact that she could let go and do it. And I think I think that track encouraged me to then start howling <laughs> myself live, and I would I started performing with feedback and getting the feedback to howl by where I angled the mic into the amp and then howling along with it and getting the pictures of the feedback with my voice oh nice um, so yeah it, it directly inspired me there what, but what is it about howling that particularly spoke to you and were like that's a particular technique that I want to incorporate into my work I think the freedom of it and also the breaking of vocal rules there's a little bit of constriction um, if you really mimic a wolf and you raise your head and and howl uh you can hear the change in my speaking voice and when i raise my my chin and that would be a a kind of a no-no in the in the classical training and you know (laughs) i'm always interested in breaking rules and seeing how far you can break the rule uh without actually doing anything unhealthy and there's a lot of rules that you know aren't necessarily in cohesion with what is natural to the body mm. um, and going and studying yoiking was and and interviewing Christina Goat was uh, really revealing in that way about how natural yoiking is that it's it's all about the essence of things but it, it almost when I see someone yoiking who's grown up with it it's almost like they they produce the sound from their own essence mm. as well um and that's what it was like seeing her live and howling i think is a very natural thing to do and the constriction actually produces the harmonics that you hear in the wolf's howl and also when i'm doing it wow mm. well, that's really cool when you say there's a constriction i'm trying to think about Oh yeah, so so when you like tilt your head back, you mean like the way that the muscles yeah, configure? Yeah, so if you if you if you tilt your head back, some muscles are going to be slightly constricted. Huh. I, yeah. That's it. That's um, obviously if you're someone who plays guitar or you you know play piano and you want to just 
prepare it in any way you want. You, know, you can contort that instrument and pretty much obliterate it if you like in order to generate the sounds that you want to. With mm-hmm. your voice, I think you touched on it a bit there, but obviously in order to obtain you know, maximum expressivity of the voice and to increase your vocabulary, I guess you come up against techniques that are uncharted because perhaps they would cause your voice some form of damage if you did them too frequently. I mean, what? how do you navigate that terrain of being like, right, I, I want to explore as much as I can as a vocalist, but at the same time, you know, I'm aware that I need to take care of this instrument too. Yeah, I mean, you can't go out and buy a new voice. Right, exactly. You could buy a new guitar, you could buy a new piano, but you can't buy a new voice. Yeah. Um, so you do you do have to take care of it. And that's where, you know, like, I think a lot of, a lot of singers might come across as divas, but you're actually kind of like, no, I really, I really can't wear myself out talking all day if I'm going <laughs> to sing in the evening as well. Because, yeah. you know, it's like the equivalent of someone playing guitar for eight hours and then performing with it. Right. Their hands will be tired, you know. Yeah. But you can't, you know, you can't really push the voice in the same way you could an instrument in, in that way, a mechanical instrument. Yeah, for me, it's it's about listening to my body and building a really strong relationship where I get instant feedback from my body on what I'm doing mm. and not having the kind of relationship where my body, where I might not listen or ignore it. And also having a sort of encyclopedia, not, not that I'm an encyclopedia, but um, <laughs> having a, a sort of library of techniques that's where technique does come in really useful and and it annoys me when people say that anti-technique or technique is bad or training the voice is bad because I just think it's really negligent Mm. because um, knowing different techniques allows you this versatility where you don't have to strain the voice you can swap things around you can swap something in you know if you've got a cold you you know how to work that and perform with a cold healthily through the technique um and I think this idea that people can have a voice that's natural, that they've never practised singing or trained it, is nonsense. Because <laughs> if you go in the shower and you sing, you're training your right, voice. Right, exactly. You are listening to your voice and you are training your voice. If you're talking, you're training your voice. Mm. You know, you, you're talking on a note and around a note and you're training that area of your voice all the time. Everyone's training their voices all the time. I guess it's that distinction, right, that people have in their minds between, you know, vocal training as a muscular workout and one that involves a creating technique, like both both uh, build up yeah, power the in the voice, right? Yeah, they're the same thing. Yeah. They're the sa- exactly the same thing to me. Um, and, you know, how mu- the variety of techniques is just down to how much you go exploring, whether that's exploring by yourself or exploring through tuition. Hmm. You know, it's it's kind of the same thing. It's still... Is still acquiring technique and playing with it. And that's where the playfulness comes from, from technique and from trying different things. So as soon as someone's doing something with their voice that isn't just speaking, they're, they're starting to play with technique. And so to return to animism, to round this off, I mean, is there a track on here that, again, if I was going to play a little clip, is there one that particularly connects with you? Oh, my God, I think fracking mm. just rocked. My, my world it's just incredible um i think like i said she's really brave 
uh, as an artist and on stage, but also in the topics that she tackles. You know, she's not afraid to tackle the idea of genetic memory as a track title and fracking as a track title, you know? And um, there's so much rage in that track. Mm. And... Again, it's like the the female voice could be seen as a as a thing that is conditioned by society and female rage. You know how often are women are allowed to be angry, and you get all these. You know, if we go back to the nineties, it's like Alanis Morissette. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, bless her for being a woman singing an angry song. But my God, the the tropes that came out of that. You know, right. and uh, and she's just very free and then you know i think i felt like fracking was a little bit of a hint of what retribution the next album was which is just really visceral Mm. yeah i haven't listened to that one yet should i be checking that out oh my god yes okay (laughs) i'll get on it Ingrid, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for spending time talking about your three important albums and all the projects that you've got in the works and coming out at the moment. It's been wicked. Oh, thank you so much. It's so nice to to talk about the albums. They're just oh, brilliant, brilliant ones. Yeah, I had a wicked Love time it. with these. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you about your your three sometimes. I think about it every single day, and I realise that <laughs> it's so cruel of me to put this on other people when I have no idea what I'd pick myself. But in- interviewers uh, privilege, I guess. I might think about doing it. Um, <laughs> if, if people want to keep up to speed with what you're doing at the moment, um, you've mentioned your web address already, but if you wouldn't mind mentioning it again, just so that people can check out your stuff. Ingridplum.com. Lovely jubbly. And... Uh, there is the Dulma series on there. Uh, the last one, Fire's coming out for the end of Daylight Saving. And then you'll be able to see all of the videos because I think people might need them mm. at the moment mm-hmm. with the lockdown. And uh, then Cesura will be out later at the end of uh, 2020. Great. Well, thank you once again. And to everyone listening, I will see you next time. Goodbye. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs>